1: today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick
2: Notice these short exhortations here Be on your guard Stand firm in the faith Be men of courage Be strong Do everything in love. Aren't those some great parting exhortations that Paul gives us here? Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be men and women of courage, be strong, do everything in love.
1: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Corinthians. As the Apostle Paul closes out his letter to the Corinthians, he encourages the church as a coach would encourage a team. Today, Pastor Gary finishes up 1 Corinthians with these same exhortations. Be on your guard, stand firm, be people of courage, be strong, and do everything in love. These sum up a few of the characteristics of Christ you're to live out. You can live courageously because of who you are in Him, standing firm in your faith. And when you do everything in love, others will see the difference and wonder why. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Corinthians chapters 15 and 16 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
2: I think it's safe to say, however, that once we leave this earth and we go to be with the Lord, we will not be restricted by space, matter, or time, just as the Lord is not today either. But strictly comparing apples to apples, when we see Jesus in his resurrected form, when he walked the earth, he was able to walk through doors, he was able to go through walls, he was able to peer here, appear there, and he had no problem passing through things. So that's going to be an awesome ability. Won't that be absolutely awesome to just be, you know, transported from here to there and to go through something and not be restricted anymore to, you know, matter and space. So that's going to be pretty awesome. Uh, One of the other things that we see here... Oh, it gets even better, friends. Oh, some of you are going to like this next point. I know I do. We're going to be able to eat, but for pleasure, not survival. (laughs) For pleasure, not survival. Now, we see Jesus eating after he rose from the dead. Luke 24, 41 to 43. This is what it says. When he appears to his disciples in Luke 24, 41, it says, And while they still did not believe... ...because of joy and amazement. They were like so overwhelmed. They're like, is this real that he's risen from the dead? Jesus asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And it says, they gave him a piece of broiled fish... ...and he took it and ate it in their presence. Now, Paul has already established for us in 1 Corinthians 15... ...that the glorified body is imperishable. It is immortal. You don't need food to survive. So if Jesus is eating, but he doesn't need food to survive that it must mean that when we get a glorified body we eat for pleasure but we don't have to eat for survival you're going to be able to eat whatever you want and it won't stick all those things you've been denying yourself you're going to be able to eat you're going to be able to enjoy oh it'll be so wonderful it won't kill you it won't make you sick it won't make you fat. It won't, it won't swell your face or your joints. You'll all be gluten-free. <laughs> I mean, free, 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 free from gluten, free from everything. Because it won't matter at that point. So that's a wonderful thing. Now, here is also something that is also important and wonderful as well. And I get this question from time to time, especially from those who have lost loved ones. And this is a critical question. For people who want to know whether or not they're going to recognize their loved ones when they go to heaven. And the answer is, yes, your glorified body is recognizable to others. When you look at the account of of Jesus' appearance uh, to his disciples in John 20, again, reading from John 20, verses 19 to 20, it says, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. It says, and after he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. And it says, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. In other words, if they didn't recognize him, that last sentence would have said, and then the disciples wondered who in the world this guy was. Okay, they knew who he was because he was recognizable. Now, there are some some occasions when you read the Gospels where, at first, like when Jesus was on the road with some of his disciples, unnamed disciples, on the road to Emmaus, and they didn't recognize him. Yeah, but in that occasion, it says they were kept from recognizing. You see, because Jesus had a greater purpose in sharing some things with them on the road, and then he opened up their, heart, their, their hearts and their eyes to who he really was. Other occasions when, they, when people didn't recognize him, it's, it uses words like because of joy and amazement. They didn't recognize him you know, if if you are totally caught off guard by something that you didn't expect and you know they should have expected but they didn't because Jesus had warned them on many occasions and told them in advance you know the son of man's going to be You know, given over to the hands of sinful men, crucified, three days later, rise from the dead. And the disciples are sitting around hearing him say this, and you're like, yeah, whatever. You know, and they didn't get it, all right? And so then he rises from the dead, and they're like, what's happening? You know, and they don't even recognize him. So, but it's not because of unbelief. It's because of joy and amazement, and they were startled because they weren't prepared for this. They should have been, but they weren't. Otherwise, Jesus is completely recognizable. There's another story in John 21, and I'll just summarize a couple verses, this is when Jesus later, after he had risen from the dead, appears to them along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And they're out fishing, Peter is, with, with some of his friends. And, and from the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus cries out to them in the boat, Have you caught anything? No, we've been fishing all night. Why don't you throw your net on the other side? And then they haul in this great uh, catch of fish. And, and in John 21, verse 12 in particular, it says this. Now, so Jesus, this is just such a marvelous scene. I mean, here he is, the Savior of the world, died for our sins, and he's cooking them breakfast on, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. I mean, that's just, to me, that's just mind-boggling. It's like the, the Son of God who died for the sins of the world is cooking breakfast for people. And so here he is cooking breakfast, and he says in John, 20, John 21, verse 12, Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. And it says, None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? It says because they knew it was the Lord. You will be recognizable in your glorified body. Uh, Your friends and loved ones who have gone on before you, who know the Lord and are in heaven, will be recognizable by you. And heaven will be a glorious reunion. You know... Death is a very grievous thing. And one of the reasons why death is such a grievous thing is because we were not originally wired to to ever have to experience death. When you think about when, when God created Adam and Eve in the garden, the intention was that man should live forever. Now, yes, God in His providence, He knows all things. He knew that man would sin. He, kn- he knew. But in His creation, He did not create us with the natural capacity to experience grief because that's not the way it was supposed to work. We were never supposed to die. We were never supposed to experience death. So the emotion of grief is one of the most difficult emotions to sort through. And, you know, thankfully for those of us who know the Lord, He is the one who helps us through our darkest and most difficult times. But the Bible talks about how though we grieve... Even as Christians, you you lose a loved one, you're going to grieve just like anybody else. But Paul would write, though we grieve, we grieve not like those who have no hope. Because we have hope. And one of the sustaining things for us as believers is that hope of knowing that when we go to be with the Lord, we will once again see those that we love and know who have gone before us. And there will be a glorious reunion in heaven. Now, we get all other kinds of questions that come about whenever we talk about this subject, like, you know, what kind of a body type will I have? Two words for you, friends, fit and fabulous. (laughs) And then I get this question, too, well, how old will I be? And there's really no way to answer this. I'm going to give you some possibilities. Um, First, it is believed, some commentaries will write, that whatever the age is, we will probably all be at what they refer to as the peak of vitality. Now, whatever is the peak of vitality? Your 20s, your 30s, I don't know what it might be. 90? Is that what somebody said? (laughs) Good for you. (laughs) But there is this thought that maybe there would be a universal age, that all of us will be a similar age. And the thought is, now again, we can't answer this because exclusively, because we don't have a a chapter or verse for this. But it might be that we will all be around the age of 30. And here's why. Because in 1 John 3, 2, 1 John 3, 2, John says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, when Jesus appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, we shall be like him. Thomas Aquinas took from this verse that it must be that if we are really going to be like Jesus in a glorified body, and his ministry started around the age of 30, he died around the age of 33, that perhaps we will be roughly that age of 30. 30 seems to be a universal age in the Bible because it is the age 30 when a priest was first able to serve in the temple of the Lord. 30 was also the age when a Jewish man, even to this day, strict Orthodox Jews will not allow a man to read, or a woman for that matter, but, but re- related to men, will not allow a man to read the book of Song of Solomon until he reaches the age of 30. 30 is considered kind of this universal age. A lot of Bible commentaries and the ancient rabbis believe that Adam, when he was created, Adam when he was created was not a little baby. Adam was a full-grown man with a capacity to reproduce. And it is believed perhaps that Adam was thirty roughly when God created him. So some have said we don't know that the universal age in heaven will be thirty. Now that's wonderful news for those of you who are 75 and 80. But bummer for those of you who are sixteen. So I don't know. The answer is I don't know, and nobody really knows. Uh, but it makes for you know some fun speculation. Well, let's see if we can finish out the the book here tonight. Let's look at verse 51. Here's the exception to this in terms of having to die to get a glorified body. In verse 51, he says, Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, meaning death. Again, last week I said that sometimes sleep was a euphemism for Christians so that nobody would think that death is permanent because death is a transition. But that's what he means here. We will not all sleep. We will not all die. But we will all be changed. By the way, I think that verse, verse 51, what I just read, would be a great verse for us to post over our nursery entrance to our nursery department. Let me read it again. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Isn't that a great verse? (laughs) That's a great verse for the babies. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What is he talking about here, your attention? Here's what he's talking about. He says, there will be a generation that never experiences death. I said, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. We will not all die. There's going to be a generation that will be changed, in other words, that will get their glorified body on the way up to heaven, because he talks about this trumpet that will sound. Now, this is the same as what Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, when he talks about how the trumpet call of God will be sounded, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with the Lord to meet them in the air, and so we shall be with the Lord forever. It is speaking of what we call the rapture rapture the rapture is a word that word rapture is not found in the bible but the principle and the concept is and the concept is this that there is a generation and whoever knows when this will be we nobody knows because when a trumpet call sounds and god blows that trumpet there's going to be a generation of christians that will be taken from this earth we will be snatched up bodily physically we will not experience death and as we are transported miraculously to heaven, that's when he says we will, we will all be changed in the twinkling of an eye. There will be this instantaneous moment when our natural bodies will become a glorified body between here and heaven. And that's how we get our glorified body. Otherwise, back to First Corinthians, uh, sorry, First Thessalonians 4, the dead in Christ will rise first. So every Christian who has already died before the trumpet sound, their bodies have returned to dust. So they, at the, sa- at the same time, when that trumpet sounds, they get first bid. The dead in Christ will rise first, and those ashes will be molecularly, miraculously restored into a glorified body, and that will rise from the dead and be reunited with the souls that are in heaven of those saints, And they get their glorified body. And then that's when Paul says, and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. That's that generation here in chapter 15 that Paul says, we will not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the twinkling of an eye. So there are two different kinds of of, uh, moments of getting glorified bodies. Those who have already died and those who are alive at the time of the sounding of the trumpet. Those who've already died get theirs first on the way up. Those of us who are still alive and remain get it when that trumpet call is sounded and we don't experience death. Now, I I can hear already some questions. What about, you know, my Uncle Charlie, his ashes were scattered from a helicopter over the Atlantic Ocean. Okay. I don't have time to tell a story about a pastor, that I knew who dumped ashes out of a helicopter and the wind was not going in the right direction. It was a terrible story and I won't go into it. But anyway, here's the answer to that. The answer to that is this. God, who created the heavens and the earth, the stars in the universe, can pull all of Uncle Charlie's atoms together and recreate his glorified body. Don't you worry. Yeah, but it was swallowed up by sharks, and then sharks were eaten by killer whales, and then... where God will take care of raising Uncle Charlie from the dead. Don't you worry. Okay? Don't worry. God will take care of it. The good news is this. Whether you die before the trumpet sounds and you know Christ, or whether you're alive when that trumpet sounds, we all get glorified bodies. That's the good news. We all get glorified bodies that will never perish, never fade, never wrinkle, never get bad joints again, never experience disease or death, will be immortal and continually healthy and happy and whole in the presence of God of our Savior. Amen? And amen to that. Now, i got just a few minutes to close out. Chapter uh, 16 16 is basically saying goodbyes. So um, not not too terribly um, uh, heavy on doctrine here. So we should be able to make our way through it pretty quickly here. In chapter 16, he says, verse 1, Now about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, what's the first day of every week? Sunday. Sunday is the first day of the week. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. So he encourages here regular giving and proportional giving. Okay, now nothing legalistic in here um personally terry and i you know we we give to the church once a month some of you like to give once a year or giving once a week i mean you know strictly speaking it should be once a week if we want to be legalistic about it and it's proportional you set aside in keeping with with your income uh but you know what i mean Let's not be legalistic, so for however you want to give and how often you want to give, and now we have multiple methods and means of giving, and it doesn't have to just be on Sundays, now you can click a button, you can give on a Monday or a Tuesday, Uh, but the idea is uh, be generous and, and do it in proportion to your income, and He talks about giving and sending it off to Jerusalem. You have to remember that the early church, we talked about this in the book of Acts, the early church was destitute because when you became a Christian, and in the first 10 chapters of Acts, the entire makeup of the New Testament church were exclusively Jews. For the first 10 years of church history, it was all Jews. You don't see Gentiles until you get to chapter 10 of Acts. As a result, the Jews were ostracized. They were alienated from their families. Nobody would shop at your business anymore if you became a Christian and you were a Jew who believed in Christ as Messiah. So they became destitute. They pooled their resources for a time. It is not a pattern. Do not think the New Testament teaches socialism, okay, or communal living. It doesn't teach it as a pattern. There was a one-time moment in church history when people were actually homeless and destitute, and so Christians from other regions of the known world pooled their resources, giving to God, and then it was generously distributed among those who had the need. Verse 5, Paul says, After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door for effective work is opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. If Timothy comes, and this is the same Timothy, after whom First and Second Timothy are named, if Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should refuse to accept him. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. Now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. Notice these short exhortations here. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. Do everything in love. Aren't those some great parting exhortations that Paul gives us here? Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men and women of courage. Be strong. Do everything in love. You know that the household of Stephanas were the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. I urge you, brothers, to submit to such as these and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanas, Fortunatus, and Achaeus arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you, for they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. All the brothers here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on it. What a great way to close a letter. Come, O Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. And everybody said, amen and amen. Hope
1: is an open ocean, jump in and you'll find the cornerstones, your connection run towards your new life. The Apostle Paul's message to the church in Corinth was frank and powerful. They needed to make some changes. They knew the truth of Christ because Paul had spent time planting the seeds of truth. They had begun to walk in the ways of Jesus, but they had let lies taint their steps. Those lies are common still today. Is there something you've heard from a spiritual leader that just hasn't sat right in your soul? don't let it take root. Instead, take it to the Bible and to your Heavenly Father. Allow Him to show you what is right and what isn't, and then grow in His perfect truth in love. We're so glad you joined us today on Cornerstone Connection. Pastor Gary Hamrick will continue teaching through 1 Corinthians when you join us next time. But for now, we'd like to invite you to visit cornerstoneconnection.cc to learn more about this ministry. You'll be able to hear past teachings, connect with us on social media, and learn more about the church this program originates from. If you're in the Leesburg area, we'd love to meet you. Come visit us this Sunday at 8.30, 10, or 11.45 a.m. at Cornerstone Chapel. You'll find directions and more information on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We're excited to have you join us. Thanks for tuning in today, and we hope you'll join us again right here on Cornerstone Connection.
2: They say you're a wandering soul, that you've got no place to go, but still you know, still you know. you're not alone.